face. Thank you, Davey. Uh, thanks to all of you guys for coming for this afternoon. Uh, today we're picking up in 1 Samuel chapter 10. Coming off of chapter 9 last week, we saw um, kind of a lot of setup scene going on. We see uh, Saul traveling with his servant to go and meet Samuel. We see them interacting. We see Samuel at the close of last week. We see him actually anointing Saul there in chapter 1. It says, Then Samuel took a vial of oil and poured it upon his head and kissed him and said, Is it not because the Lord hath anointed thee to be captain over his inheritance? We saw at the close of chapter 9 in the first verse of chapter 10, Saul being anointed as king. The person that Israel has been longing for for so long, have been begging for, um, even to the point of rejecting God in the process, they're finally about to get this king who's been anointed. But again, up to this point, the only people aware of this anointing and of this um, Saul being chosen as king are Saul and Samuel. So only two people at the time know that he is to be king. Uh, before we get into chapter 10, let's pray. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for uh, this time that, that we've set aside this afternoon to look and open up your word, just simply a chapter, but see what it is that you've done in the lives um, of these people. Father, I just pray that as we look through this chapter that we're able to see you continuing to work. We're able to see you again uh, giving a promise and a promise being fulfilled. Um, we just continue to see you working um, in and out of every generation, Father. I just pray that we'd be able to apply this to our lives today. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, so picking up in verses 2, um, looking at verses 2 through 4. So again, Saul has just been anointed as king over Israel, something they've been longing for for so long. He's finally anointed to be king. And we pick up in verse 2. Samuel's giving instructions to Saul, and he says, When thou art departed from me today, then thou shalt find two men by Rachel's sepulcher in the border of Benjamin at Zelzah. And they will say unto thee, The asses which thou wentst to seek are found. And lo, thy father hath left care of the asses, and sorroweth for you, saying, What shall I do for my son? Uh, just real quickly, we saw in the last couple chapters, we saw um, Saul's father telling him, Hey, um, these asses have left, they've run off, they're astray, go and find them. Saul and the servant are looking for a while, and they kind of grow tired of continuing to look, and they can't find them. So they give up, and Saul says, We should stop looking for them, because my dad is probably going to be more concerned about me. We've been gone for a while, he's going to start being concerned and wondering where I'm at. So let's stop and look for that. And when he finally meets Samuel, Samuel tells him, hey, the asses that you're looking for, don't worry about them. They've been found. So again, uh, just a brief recap on that situation. Uh, verse 3, Then thou shalt go on forward from thence, and thou shalt come to the plain of Tabor, and there shall meet three men going up to God to Bethel, one carrying three kids, and another carrying three loaves of bread, and another carrying a bottle of wine. So, they're, continue, they're on their way. Um, Samuel again instructs him in saying that the asses are found. And we, he's affirmed in his thoughts from the previous chapter where he thought that his father would be sad and missing him. Where Samuel says that your father is sorrowful for you. He's sorroweth for you. Verse 3, you're going to go, you're going to travel, you're going to see these three men. They're going to be carrying, they're going to have three kids. There's going to be three loaves of bread and another carrying a bottle of wine. Um, we see kind of this illustration immediately after being anointed, that God is going to provide for Saul. That he is going to solve his problems. We see an immediate 
um, immediate act of God providing for him by meeting these men. Verse 4, And they will salute thee and give thee two loaves of bread, which thou shalt receive of their hands. So not only are you going to see these men with this bread and with this wine, but they're actually going to give you two loaves of bread. So right from the beginning, he's anointed to be king, and as he's going to depart, he's going to come across these men who are going to give him bread. Just a, a great sign. Hopefully it's an, it would be an encouragement to Saul. Um, I would assume that at this point, Saul is kind of conflicting, kind of confused at what's going on. Reading the previous chapters, we saw recently that he had no idea who Samuel was. They lived just a few miles away from each other, and he had no idea how to find Samuel. We saw that there's a lot of confusion. He's still kind of feeling his way around this, um, not- noticing his character. Saul's kind of all about himself. Um, he's a good-looking guy. People know him. He's strong. He's tall. He's very talented. So he's very self-centered. He's very much about himself. And at this point, he's still feeling his way around it. But right after being anointed as king, Samuel is telling him that someone is going to provide him loaves of bread, an affirmation of God's calling for him. Uh, Slide down to verse 5. It says, After that thou shalt come to the hill of God, where is the garrison of the Philistines. And it shall come to pass, when thou art come thither into the city, that thou shalt meet a company of prophets, coming down from a high place with a psaltery, a a tabret, and a pipe, and a harp before them, and they shall prophesy. And the Spirit of the Lord will come upon thee, and thou shalt prophesy with them, and shalt be turned into another man. So not only are they going to come across these men, um, bringing these gifts and bringing uh, these loaves of bread, but they're also going to come upon some prophets. They're going to come and they're going to be bringing these instruments. It says in verse 6, And the Spirit of the Lord will come upon thee, and thou shalt prophesy with them. So things are moving pretty quick here in the life of Saul. It went from, who are you, Samuel? I have no idea. My servants told me about you, but I'm finally getting to meet you. I'm understanding what's going on, to, all right, now you're anointed as king over Israel. That's a pretty big jump. That would be giving me uh, the presidency right now. I don't feel I'm totally qualified. I'd give it a shot, but I'd be a little overwhelmed. Um, Some of you wouldn't vote for me, and that's fine. Um, But a lot is going on. So not only that, but now these prophets are going to come. The Spirit of the Lord is going to come upon you, and you're going to prophesy with them. You will become another man. So at this point, putting myself in Saul's position, I'm overwhelmed. There is a lot going on. Not only the responsibility, but now I'm going to have to um, interact with this, this Holy Spirit that's going to come upon me. I have to join in prophecy uh, with these prophets. There's just a whole lot going on here. In verse 7, And let it be, when these signs are cometh unto thee, that thou do as occasion serve thee, for God is with thee. Saying, when the Spirit comes upon you, serve the Lord. Continue to serve Him. Verse 8, And thou shalt go down before me to Gilgal, and behold, I will come down unto thee, to offer burnt offerings, and to sacrifice sacrifices of peace offerings. Seven days shalt thou tarry, till I come to thee, and show thee what thou shalt do. So we see Samuel continuing to give him instruction. Um, at no point is Samuel just telling him, uh, this is going to happen, and just kind of walks away and leaves. Samuel continues to tell him what's going to happen. Again, very specific, seven days shalt thou tarry. So you're waiting for seven days. Um, with my impatience, I could be, if he were to say, wait for some time and then you can go, I'd be after four or five days saying, it's probably about enough time. 
It's again a very specific detail that we see Samuel relaying as a message from the Lord of seven days, continuing to give him these signs. Uh, verse 9 through 16 in this section, we're going to see these signs being fulfilled. Again, from starting in verses 3 all the way through verses 8, Samuel has told Saul what is to come, saying what is going to happen. And we're going to start to see some of these things being fulfilled. We're going to see God actively fulfilling this promise. Verse 9, And it was so that when he had turned his back to go from Samuel, God gave him another heart, and all those signs came to pass that day. Incredible in verse 9 that immediately after leaving Samuel, God gives him another heart. Uh, when I looked at that, I said, okay, does that mean that, that Saul instantly became saved? Does that mean he was exactly a whole other person? Um, looking at heart within this context and studying it a little bit, it talks more about an attitude, a new outlook, kind of a, a whole way of a changing of a perspective. Um, so again, he's continuing to grow. He's starting to figure this out. And he leaves from Samuel with a new outlook and a new um, attitude on what it is that's happening. He's still kind of evaluating at this point. But notice at the close of verse 9, And all those signs came to pass that day. Not some of the signs, not two out of three, not most. All of the signs came to pass that day. Just an incredible testimony uh, to the Lord in that time. And again, reflecting and putting yourself in the shoes of Saul, what would that have been like? For you to hear of all these things that you're going to come across these men with the children with the bread and the wine and then you're going to see these prophets coming down and you're going to worship with them and you're going to prophesy with them and all of these things that are going to happen that aren't extremely common you're not just coming across this number of prophets and this many people carrying those exact items there's no coincidence um, the world would have you look at this and say wow what a coincidence that people were walking by and they would say it's merely coincidence, God had nothing to do with it. But as we saw in previous chapters dealing with the ark, um, we know that there's no coincidence. We know that God is actively involved in what is going on here. In verse 10, And when they came, came to the hill, behold, a company of prophets met him, and the Spirit of God came upon him, and he prophesied among them. And it came to pass, when all that knew him before time saw that, behold, he prophesied among the prophets, then the people said one to another, What is this that is come unto the son of Kish? Is Saul also among the prophets? So we see that he's with the prophets. He's beginning to prophesy with them. And in verse 11, we kind of see, that we see this picture of his friends who knew him from before. This would be people who, from, who knew you maybe in a pre-salvation context. Knew you before you knew the Lord. People who knew you and you've made a certain life change. Um, they're looking and saying, who is this man? What happened to the son of Kish? Basically, why is Saul with the prophets? Saul is not a prophet. He was a farmer. He was not even spiritual in any sense prior to this. So this is friends looking at Saul and saying, we don't even recognize who this man is. Is Saul also among the prophets? In verse 12, And one of the same place answered and said, But who is their father? Therefore it became a proverb. Is Saul also among the prophets? Uh, when we look back at Amos chapter 7, and we see also in 2 Kings that a lot of times as far as prophets, it would be something that would uh, somewhat be inherited from fathers. Prophets would be referred to as fathers, and there's a, there's a certain sense of lineage within that. And it's just it's incredible because we also see Samuel kind of being, coming from a different uh, part in that lineage where we saw Eli, 
there were the sons of Eli, and um, if you've been around the last couple of weeks, we know sons of Eli were not exactly great uh, individuals, and they kind of got cut off from that whole lineage, and Samuel is the replacement. Um, but again, these people are just wondering, who is Saul? What has happened to him? Is he also a prophet? His parents weren't prophets. So they're very confused at what's going on. Verse uh, 13 through 16 and when he had made an end of prophesying, he came to the high place. And Samuel's uncle said unto him and to his servant, Whither went ye? And he said, To seek the asses. And when we saw that they were nowhere, we came to Samuel. And Saul's uncle said, Tell me, I pray thee, what Samuel said unto you. And Saul said unto his uncle, He told us plainly that the asses were found, but of the matter of the kingdom whereof Samuel spake. He told him not. So his uncle asks him to tell him what has been happening, what has gone on. And Saul kind of recounts the story. We went out to look for the asses and they were nowhere. So then we went and saw Samuel. Samuel told us that they had been found. But what, notice what does he leave out? You know that minor detail about, hey, I was anointed to be king of Israel kind of thing. That's the first thing out of my mouth. Like, hey, I'm asking the questions. I'm the king. Okay. That's kind of the way that I would look at it. But it's just incredible. We see him, again, kind of being reluctant, kind of hesitant to share what it is that's going on. He simply tells him all of the um, exterior details, but nothing of his anointing to be king over Israel. Uh, verse 17, And Samuel called the people together unto the Lord to Mitzvah, and said unto the children of Israel, Thus saith the Lord, so he immediately starts in, he starts preaching, he's going to remind the people of what is going on. Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I brought up Israel out of Egypt and delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of all kingdoms and of them that oppressed you. You see that he kind of recounts and reminds them. Do you remember when you were enslaved in Egypt? Do you remember what it is that the Lord God had brought you out of? Do you remember the redemption that you came from out of Egypt. He reminds them of it and follows it in verse 19. And ye have this day rejected your God, who himself saved you out of all your adversaries and your tribulations. And ye have said unto him, Nay, but set a king over us. Now therefore present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes and by your thousands. So Samuel introduces it to them by reminding them, Remember how great God is? Do you remember what it is that he did for you? Do you remember the redemption that he himself led you from? Do you remember that he single-handedly brought you out of the hand of the Egyptians? And he says, but on this day you've rejected your God. You've asked for a king. You've been begging for a king over us. Now present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes and by your thousands, which is going to be initiating the selection of the king. He's going to be initiating this process. But I just love the way that Samuel does this. I love the way that, that God planned this out of, of simply reminding them, do you remember what it is that I did for you? And regardless of what I did, you chose to reject me and you've asked me for a king. As if God wasn't a good enough king who, after everything that he had done, again, continuing to remind them, but they rejected God who, I mean, if you're going to choose a king, that's, that's probably the one you want, right? Not just some some dude, and that's kind of what we're going to get here. I know that was very academic, some dude. You're welcome. Uh, so just incredible, and so this process is going to be going to be happening. Slide down to verse 20. 
It says, And when Samuel had caused all of the tribes of Israel to come near, the tribe of Benjamin was taken. Again, we already know that Saul has been anointed to be king, but only two people at this time are aware of it. Not even the uncle, who had pretty much been asking what had gone on. Saul didn't tell the uncle. Only Samuel and Saul are aware of this, but they're still going to go through a process. It's already been chosen, but again, it's letting the people know. When he had caused the tribe of Benjamin to come near by their families, the family of Matri was taken, and Saul, the son of Kish, was taken. And when they sought him, he could not be found. So we see they select the tribe of Benjamin, down to the clan of Matri, down to the family of Kish, and all the way down to Saul. So they kind of narrow it down, and they find Saul is the one who's been chosen. Where is Saul? Nobody knows. Where is this king that's just been chosen? Why would God choose a king that we can't even find? Seems like a cruel trick. Doesn't really seem fair. So we see that he's been chosen. Verse 22, Therefore they inquired of the Lord further, If the man should not come thither, and the Lord answered, Behold, he hath hid himself among the stuff. And they ran and fetched him thence. And when he stood among the people, he was higher than any of the people from his shoulders and upward. So they ask, where is Saul? And they can't find him. And they find that he's off hiding. We see Saul basically in his first act nearly as king, hiding from his people. Not really the greatest way to instill confidence um, in the people you're going to lead. This would be our newly elected president after winning the election. He's not there to show up for a speech. He's not going to show up the first day in office. He's on vacation because he is scared. Why, what, what is Saul hiding from? Is he, is he afraid? Is he worried? Um, is he anxious about what's to come? Again, he's continued to show a pattern of reluctance to be king. He's not super thrilled about this idea. He's still figuring everything out. So he's off hiding. And when they find him, the people look at him. And again, as it says in verse 23, he was higher than any of the people from his shoulders and upward. They look upon him. And they see this great figure, this person who is a consummate politician who just looks the part. They look at him and say, yep, that's the guy. That's who I would vote for. They see this good-looking, tall, this person that just looks the part of who they want as a king. A person who looks like the kings of all the surrounding places, which they weren't actually supposed to be looking for. Again, using an example in a model, um, very much contrary to God. So we see that he's a reluctant king and he's off hiding. Verse 24, And Samuel said to all the people, See ye him whom the Lord hath chosen, that there is none like him among all the people? And all the people shouted and said, God save the king. Then Samuel told the people the manner of the kingdom and wrote it in a book and laid it up before the Lord. And Samuel sent all the people away, every man to his house. So Samuel presents Saul kind of gives them a brief little advertisement, and many of the people are impressed. And we see uh, in verse 25, he links the kingship back to the, to the divine covenant, and he's going to explain, um, there's a lot, of, a lot of ideas that are saying that he probably went back to Deuteronomy and referenced uh, what it is that the king's role is and kind of gave an explanation there. But again, the king is still, even though he's in charge, is still supposed to be submissive to God. The king is not his own person making up all the rules, but again, he's supposed to serve under the leadership of the Lord. But if we look at it, these are the same people that just verses earlier had been blatantly told that they had rejected God, said that God wasn't enough, that they needed a king. 
So are they going to be concerned if Saul is going to follow the will of the Lord? Absolutely not. That wasn't good enough for them. Why would they want it for their leader? Verses 26 and 27 to close uh, chapter 10. And Saul also went home to Gibeah, and there went with him a band of men whose hearts God had touched. So these men are following Saul home to be with him. But the children of Belial said, How shall this man save us? And they despised him and brought him no presents, but he held his peace. So while some loved him and they adored him and said, Yes, this man is perfect. This is what we want. There were some who despised him. They didn't give him any offerings. They didn't give him any gifts. And Saul pretty much at this point would have had every right to have them killed, punished, anything that he wanted to do. It's disrespectful to the king, and that's not a game that they were really interested in playing at that time. Um, but what does it say? It says he held his peace. So we see Saul um, not fully using all of the, the um, abilities that he was able to do, but again, holding his peace, which is, which is ironic as we kind of fast forward quickly. Um, Saul is able to keep his peace in this instance, but years later we see that he's even willing to kill his own son. He's so angry. He gets so out of control that Saul is willing to kill his own son, Jonathan. But yet, at this point, he's a man who's able to keep his peace. Just, it's interesting what can happen from, from the very beginning all the way through. And we're going to continue to see how he gets to that point. And again, what was Saul's qualifications? He looked the part. People wanted that. They didn't care about his character. They didn't care about his temperament. They wanted someone who looked the part. And Saul looked the part. But when we look at the story of David and Goliath, it's not Saul that's chosen by God to defeat the giant. The person who looked like the great warrior, the person who actually was a great warrior, great military general, the person who looked the part, but instead this little tiny shepherd boy with all of the character, but none of the qualities that Saul had, that God had chosen. Just an incredible contrast when we see it all um, kind of going together. When we know the full picture, we see that God is using, going to use David, not Saul. God is choosing the heart, not just the, the qualities on the exterior. Um, and it's just incredible that some people loved him, but yet still some people despised him. Partially because he looked apart, partially because, well, this is just a farmer. I have no idea how this guy's king. Whatever the reason is, some loved him and some didn't, didn't appreciate him. But we also see Saul being reluctant to accept the calling that God had put on his life. God had specifically chosen him to be king, and he was trying to hide. He was trying to run away from his calling. Um, and the application for me, just within that section, is do I fully embrace the calling that God has had for my life? When God is instructing me to do something, when he's instructing me to take up a mantle or to fulfill a responsibility, do I fully do that to the best of my ability every time? Saul was chosen to be king. An incredibly prestigious, but also um, a very a position with great responsibility here. And we see him hiding, trying to avoid it. He's not sure of what's going on. And when Pastor Ben talked this morning about uh, worry and being anxious, um, man, I just see a whole lot of worry and a lot of anxiety on Saul's part to run and hide. He's just chosen to be king. Was he humble? Was he proud? Um, there's a lot of evidence that says that he was um, pretty proud earlier on in his life. But it's just an incredible thing to, to see continuously throughout this book so far in 1 Samuel, of Samuel giving this prophecy and immediately being fulfilled. Promises continuing to be fulfilled each and every day 
each and every time to the fullest extent. Everything that God said would happen, happened. Just an incredible um, encouragement. We're going to continue to see, now that Saul is king, and now that everyone knows that he's king, we're starting to see some in favor and some against him. We're going to see kind of how that looks um, as he continues to lead the kingdom um, in the coming weeks. Let's pray. God, we thank you again for this time. We thank you that we're able to look and we're able to see um, just a few, few different individuals that, that you've personally used to, to give glory to you, to fulfill your purpose. We thank you that Samuel was continuing to be obedient to you, that he took the time to, to follow in obedience, to share with Saul all the things that were going to happen. And God, we thank you that once again, just another time that we have where we're able to see you fulfilling your promises each and every time to the fullest extent. God, we know that you're true to your promise. We know that you're true to your word. And Father, I pray that, that as we continue to look in your word, we continue to study it, we continue to draw closer to you, that we wouldn't have worry, that we wouldn't be anxious for things, that, that we know that we can trust in you as our rock, that as we fulfill the calling that you've had in our lives, you've given us responsibilities, you've given us tasks to do, you've given us people to love and to meet, that we would be able to do those things and that we wouldn't be uh, distracted by worry or anxiety or fear, that you would just continue to give us the strength to follow you and to bring others to you as well. God, I just pray that you would be with us as we go from here today. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you all for coming. Some of the men would help with some of the chairs. There's some of you fine...